good to me. Uh huh. Yeah. Live from the Twin Cities. We're the names you know. This is names I know. You want me to be that type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to, but we both. Podcast, the second podcast this week, but it's an emergency podcast because uh, the Loons went and won and did the damn thing. Uh, they beat Sporting Kansas City down in Kansas City, so we need to get the entire crew back together uh, to talk about this one. Uh, we have Dan. How's it going, Dan? Pretty damn good. Still in the uh, the afterglow from the match. Yeah, for sure. I've been in the, refract- the refractory period for three days now, two days. So, <laughs> uh, MJ, how are you doing? Since it's early on a saturday for me i'm i'm in a blue shirt which is my own version of blue hell excellent and making his triumphant return of the podcast bill mcguire bill how hey. you been, man? it's been a while yeah yeah i finished my manifesto uh <laughs> i have windows again and uh thanks to mj and dan i have a joke um so <laughs> The question, the question is, did you did you leave that manifesto in your cabin or did you bring it with you? Oh, no. The Washington Post and uh, New York Times will be posting it uh, tomorrow. Very, very good. Uh, very good. Otherwise, the- otherwise, the bombs start again. The Dave's I Know is the most popular podcast among FBI agents. I have yes. it on good authority. It- it really, it truly, truly is. I'm, I'm, I'd be surprised if, uh, if they're not listening to the podcast at this point. So, yeah. some of the insane shit that Martin and I said over the course of the previous three years of the podcast. So, send in questions, you chintzy bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, if I got a package from you and I opened it up and there were lots of wires, I would just be so excited that you sent me a Euro rack synthesizer. Yeah, synthesizer, exactly. You know, I'd be like, yeah. look what Bill made me. He made yes. me, he made me some electronic musical devices that I can plug into my system. Yes, because by bombs, it would be Twitter jokes. That's the uh, <laughs> bombs that I would be throwing. Oh, yeah. S- speaking of Twitter, did you guys see uh, my tweet that blew up? Uh, this yes. Week? <laughs> yes, you you were huge this week. I, that was that kind of got away from me real real fast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so if you're... You didn't notice I, I made a I just made a joking tweet to the Star Tribune about getting murdered in South Minneapolis twice, twice, uh, and arsoned once, and uh, all of a sudden, <laughs> it just I started getting likes and retweets, and I think I'm, I'm over two thousand, like over twenty two hundred uh, likes now, and like some like two hundred retweets. So that was so you uh, muted it yet, so you don't get the notifications. No, because my I, I had notifications like fairly streamlined on my phone so like i don't get like and i don't have my phone phone doesn't ding at me every single time someone likes to retweet it it's slowed down now but for about 24 hours there it was literally like a like 100 every hour of people liking and retweeting my thing so it was uh it was pretty bonkers i'd never had a tweet go that viral before so that's pretty cool it was impressive which was the other great thing and, and to your minimal credit you you tagged the star trib but did not include any articles for context. Oh yeah, no. I didn't, and, I and it was fucking hilarious. I didn't want to give them any 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 clicks. <laughs> you didn't you didn't need to tag any articles. No, there no, was exactly. It was it was it was beautiful. There was one person from Seattle who like who 
like tweeted at me he's like this seems like hyper local but i kind of love it still and i <laughs> responded to the guy i was like yeah it's he's like and then he and like a little bit later he's like okay just reading the context clues here's what i think it is i'm like and he just he pretty much nailed it exactly i was like yep you, you fucking nailed it yeah. so uh all right well, anyways, guys, let's uh, we have some stuff to talk about. We have a, a fantastic game to talk about, and we have to, a preview for Seattle, which will be happening on Monday. Um, wait, wait, but first, I want to say a couple things. Uh, the Patreon beer is almost done. I believe it's very close to being to getting its carbonation, and need to chat with Christian. But I'll be reaching out to all our Patreon members about uh, getting this to you in some capacity, either Christian or myself, just dropping it off. Um, uh, I don't think we'll be able to do a pickup just with all the with all the ordinances and orders and things like that so um we definitely want to get to everybody before before your christmas parties and stuff so you can get really rip-roaring drunk on heath out stout and uh, berate your uncle or something over zoom so we'll be getting that out if you're not a member of the patreon you still can get in honestly if you if you sign up between now and whenever i do the the, the shipment or the drop-offs um at six dollars a month you'll be able to get a bottle of the heath out stout which again as i mentioned the last couple of weeks he christian has told me that this is the best beer he's ever done and he's done some really, really good beers. So I would highly encourage everybody to uh, to get in on that. And uh, you'll be getting it. Yeah, you'll be getting a message from me uh, or an email, um, just sort of trying to set everything up. So be on the lookout for that. And the other thing I wanted to highlight is the Dark Clouds end of the year uh, silent auction is happening right now. The end of the year awards took place last night. Uh, they were great. Um, we have, uh, and then we have the silent auction, which in the past has always been just the night of the award party, but since we are not in person this year, uh, the Dark Clouds are doing it virtually uh, online through um, 32 auctions. And I believe the website is 32auctions.com slash dark cloud, cloud, C-L-O-U-D, no no S on there. Um, the person who set it up, I didn't personally set it up. I was helping, I'm helping facilitate the auction, but the person who set it up um, did not really pay attention to the adding the S. Um, we have a lot of really cool stuff on there a Carly Lloyd signed uh, framed picture from her winning the 20, uh, 2017 World Cup, I believe. Um, the uh, There's a bunch of podcast guest appearances, including one here on the Daves I Know, if you've, if you've ever really wanted to participate in this tomfoolery and skullduggery, uh, you can get in on that. I believe the, the, the opening bear now is $25, so not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. And there's a lot of really cool items, including um, Eric Miller has a uh, used a Nashville, a game-worn Nashville jersey. Uh, there's a Christian Ramirez game-worn jersey, J.C. Banks game-worn jersey, shorts, and then a, a new pair of socks. Uh, and then the Hop Clouds also donated a Hop Clouds custom beer uh, uh, extravaganza. You basically get to work with Christian and the Hop Clouds to create your own beer, be a part of the process, and end up with 24 bombers. And that is currently right now at $75. So that's a hell of a deal if you are interested in learning more about making beer. Uh, Christian and the dudes who are in the Hop Clouds are really, really cool guys, and uh, you'll learn a lot as well as get some really awesome beer. So, I would encourage everybody to go. Um, there's lots of, and, and that's, that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the the cool stuff. If you've been meaning to get an old NASL wing kit, there's an extra large NASL wing kit right now that's uh, $195. Uh, that's probably the most highly sought after item in Minnesota soccer uh, history right now. So definitely check it out. But yeah, go go to the website. Uh, 32auctions.com slash dark cloud um, is where you go to bid on that stuff. So you can bid on a Dave's I know appearance or just every other thing, which is much, much cooler than what we have. So, oh, I forgot to mention that Dave's I know uh, appearance. You also get a Heath out stout bomber. 
because you're probably getting to drink that to deal with our our shenanigans so uh anything else guys anything else that i missed i think we're good to go all right let's jump in uh, I know we have some people have hard doubts right now, so we want to make sure we get to everybody. Um, all right, Sporks zero, Minnesota United three. Who the fuck oh. saw that one coming? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody. Right. Um, so Minnesota United start off basically the same formation. Uh, there was, I know the extra time guys had talked about putting Kai Kamara up top uh, to help uh, as a pressure release valve. Adrian had none of that. He kept the same front four. The only uh, only substitutions were Metnir came in for Dotson. Um, and you're off of his quarantine. And then Ozzy Alonso got the start over Marlon Hairston. So Ozzy Alonso came in uh, mostly match fit. Um, that was great to see. So, and then, yeah, so this is a, this is a game of, of basically 20 minutes and then 30 minutes and then uh, 40 minutes uh, as, in my estimation. Right. So the first 20 minutes, Minnesota United, it was, it was absolutely, the defending was shambolic. The, it was erratic. Um, I was rewatching the match this morning, and uh, Stu Hudson, uh, Stu Holden, was just basically. I can't remember. I almost, almost made him Stu Hudson. That would have been uh, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Stu Holden was was correct in just how disjointed Minnesota's back line was. They they didn't seem to, to be communicating to, to one another, and they had. Point Kansas City had a, had a real real opportunity to be up three nothing after the first twenty minutes in this game. Yeah. They uh, they had Debassi coming out of out of position constantly. Yes, uh, they burned Gasper multiple on times. Every move. Yeah, both Johnny Russell and Jalen Lindsay just tortured Chase Gasper to the extent that I wondered if Gasper wasn't healthy. Yeah, and Debassi should have realized that Gasper was getting burned and that he was going to get two on one, and he should have dropped back and he stepped forward. Yes. numerous times to right. allow that two on one to become a two on oh yeah so in this in the second minute of the game uh johnny russell had a a great great run a great pass uh that that set him up um again just shambolic defending russell chips date so dane st clerk was kind of stuck in no man's land he kind of came out he didn't come out enough um he kind of made a poor decision i, I think in re-watching the game this morning a poor decision in what he did with that um, so he was stuck in no man's land. Russell with a gorgeous, gorgeous chip, but Michael Boxo um, gets back uh, and clears it off the line, amazingly. And again, just to highlight, this is the and they mentioned on the broadcast the fourth game in a row where Minnesota has had a a goal line clearance by a defender, which is <laughs> an insane amount of luck, right? You talk about yeah. being lucky and good. You know, you need both, I think, to win to win MLS Cup playoffs. And man, Minnesota has been very, very lucky. Um, they've also been very, very good in certain parts of the game. So that was that was the first one. Uh, MJ, you want to talk about the second one? Yeah, I mean, so again, this ha- happens where Johnny Russell is sprung free on their right, our left side. And also, not just Gasper is behind the play and Debassi steps up, but on this one, Boxall steps up as well. And so we have a one-on-one situation with three Minnesota United defenders chasing Johnny Russell. The only one that's left is Metnair and Metnair is facing and running at the ball while a Gerso is cutting in behind him. And this was scary as fuck to me because Kansas City is a team that if you get a two-on-one 
or if you count the goalkeeper two on two in that much space, they're going to score. But for whatever reason, Johnny Russell, Johnny Russell's it, and and he doesn't see see Gerso open, and he tries to beat DSC on his own, and DSC makes an amazing save. Yeah. So I think there's I think there's two two things at play there. Um, I think you're and obviously yeah, watching rewatching it again, I was like, oh my god, Gerso was wide open. I, I think maybe Metnir had shielded that pass from Russell a little bit. Um, I think maybe or not not that's not shielded and like played it defensively, but just like the way he was running at the ball, Russell didn't see Gerso. Right. Possibly. And I think the other thing is Russell's on such a bad run of form. He just he needs a he is like, you know, that some of those Christian Ramirez, uh Darwin Quintero's just taking you're taking the shot yourself because you're you're in a in a in a rut and you need to score a goal, right? And you're you're one on one with the keeper basically. Um, you know, nine times out of ten, Johnny Russell's gonna gonna make that shot. So I think part of that is going through his head that you know he's got a, a chance here. He just got denied, you know, what eight minutes earlier. Not no way it's gonna happen twice in a game. He's, he's gonna get his goal. He's gonna get off the off the office, uh, you know, off the pot. And uh, I think partly, so maybe he's you know just a singular focus on scoring the goal. It doesn't look for Gerso. And or and or you know the way Metnir was running, it's, that was that would have been a tough pass to get to, to Gerso. Like let's you know to be to be fair, as well. It, it's tougher than it looks, just watching the replay in slow motion. In the re- replay slow motion, it's so easy to see where the passing lane is, mm-hmm. but running it at full speed, that that lane's not so easy to hit. And I understand that. And Metnir did impact that passing lane, but he was not faced the correct way. No. To, 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 to see where that was coming. And I would argue that while Boxall's clearance, I'll just say this, it was not DSC's most flashy save, but given what the numbers were and the space running at him, it was probably his most impressive save. Yes. Well, we'll talk about that other save that, that yeah. you put out for that most <laughs> yeah. impressive save. Um a few minutes later after that, uh, Dan Sinclair makes – I don't understand how he actually made the save, especially watching it on on replay. He saves uh, a Punsik header off the line from a recycled corner. So uh, Lindsay passes it in. A great a great pass in. Uh, Punsik is all by himself with the header. Uh, Menier goes up, but it was, it was a half-hearted attempt, basically, and puts the ball into sort of that, that bottom corner. Dane – and I, the only thing I think I can say is that I'm sure is that there wasn't as much uh, force on the ball because Dane sticks his arm out and basically just like ball just, like bounces right off his arm. His arm doesn't really move at all, other than maybe even to push the ball out. Right? You get if you get a little more power on that, his it, that ball goes probably goes in the net. But uh, with the way the ball was coming in, there wasn't a lot of power on the ball coming in. Obviously, it was it was a it was a looped in uh, uh, pass or cross from from Lindsay, but makes an outstanding outstanding save. Yeah, I think. I think talking about it being a looped ball takes too much credit away from Dane. Um, unbelievably phenomenal movement across the box. And we've talked about this before. He's just so long limbed. Um, so he, he gets into position really well, stretches out the arm. And honestly, I think Punchek gets about as much power on that ball as you can. Cause it's, it's, it, he's fading away from it a little bit. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But still, I mean, we're talking about unexpected value on that header of like 0.9 goals. <laughs> like this is that ball was going for the bottom corner, and Dane did everything right. And uh, credit to Stu Kerr. I don't know what wrist curls they're doing, 
Um, <laughs> but it was the it was the right amount because he he not only it, it isn't that he hits it with a flat wrist. He actually sort of curls and it's almost like a think of like a highlight stick. So instead of flat and push, he curled out. Yeah. And it got that little bit of extra power. Uh, there's a Twitter account that measures sort of goal line clearances where where the ball is over the line using advanced mathematics and photography tricks. I I love the account. I'm not going to go into their method because I don't mm-hmm. understand it. Dane kept that ball out by five inches, which is both incredibly impressive in the sense that, wow, that ball was almost over the line. But if you think about the size of a soccer ball, that means he prevented – pretty much the majority of that ball from crossing the line off of an absolute point blank header, which is absolutely incredible. That was Molino's second goal, which I understand we'll get to was the the point of the game that my jaw truly dropped. But absent that, I think this save by St. Clair might've been the most impressive moment of the season. And if we're going to say, if we're going to split defense and offense, this is the most impressive defensive moment of the season to me. This isn't the first time this season that I've that I've thought in a tight space he reminds me of a hockey goalie that just coming up, you know, with a glove hand and uh just yes. he's so fast that way. Canadian, so it's in his blood. Yes. <laughs> True. It it would be the equivalent of of a Canadian hockey goalkeeper pushing off pushing off the far uh pushing off the near post to get over to the far post. Yeah. It's so fast. Right. And re- watching the replay, I think, honestly, I, he he misjudges it because I think he thinks Metnir is going to go up and get something on that ball. So if you watch from, from the back, from, from the goal cam, because um, hmm. it, it is, he, he does, he does, it's slightly awkward too. Like it's not even, it's not like he was like perfectly set up for it. Um, so I, I, I honestly think that he thought Metnir was going to get something on that ball and he was worried about, you know, sort of a rebound or something. So anyways, MJ? Speaking of Metonier, and you know how much I like to get picky on on defender shape, Metonier was in the right spot, but you saw him try to go up to try to intercept the 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 looping ball with his head, which means he takes himself completely out of the play. He can't he move left to right. He can't move forward, front to back. You saw Dotson in a similar situation against Colorado drop off, help take the near post away, and just close his legs, close his arms, and be a shield. I'm not saying you start Dotson over Metonier. That's ridiculous. Uh, But if you look at weak side, strong side defensive positioning, Dotson's discipline versus Metonier, see ball, go after ball all the time is something to look for in the future. Very good. All right. So let's talk about, let's talk about the goal. So, so Minnesota, you know, holds, they bend, but they don't break. Uh, They keep, uh, you know, Sporting Kansas City off the, off the scoreboard for 25 minutes. And then, and then they just, they do the the chaos that is the Minnesota front four. Uh, They score three goals in 12 minutes. Uh, Molino uh, from Reynoso twice. And then uh, Debassi off of a header for uh, Bakai Debassi's first goal as a Minnesota United player. So um, they just, they, the first goal, I think really was like a punch in the gut to Sporting Kansas City. That second goal, you could see after that second goal, they were just, we had broken Sporting Kansas City. And that third goal, 
like left left them just absolutely devastated. So this is why I want to say what I think this is a game of three parts. That first 20 minutes, 20 to 25 minutes where Sporting Kansas City dominated. The next so you know 30 minutes or so where Minnesota dominated. And then the second, you know, the last part of the second, you know, basically most almost all the second half where Minnesota dominated, but not but in a different kind of way, right? They just they basically smothered the hell out of the game. So let's talk about the goals individually. Uh the first uh, goal from Molino. Who wants to take that one? I'll, I'll take that one. I love the quick passing when Minnesota United gets their quick passing going forward. And there might be a square ball or a pa- backward pass in there because of that's the obvious pass to make to keep possession. But everything's just free flowing. And the it started with someone who I thought had an amazing game return to form, Ozzy Alonso. And Alonzo passes it to Gasper. Gasper then passes it. It looks like it's going to Molino. Molino split steps the dummy and it goes to Reynoso. And Reynoso then hits back Molino on a looks like a give and go, but I don't think Molino touched the ball the first time. So, and then Molino just does the slightest, like it's not even a shoulder feint, just a little step left to freeze the goalkeeper a little bit to the goalkeeper's right and then and then shoots right. And that is the run-of-play goal that I have loved to see from this new Minnesota United attack before. So did, did and I don't know the complete pronunciation of his name, but Puchek, did he yep. step did he step forward first? And both, that's how Molino beat him? Both Puchek. Uh, Ilya Sanchez, who I claimed was going to have a great game and did not have a great game, uh, and Punchek, who I also thought was going to have a good game and did not, were, were out of position. Sanchez was pulled wide right and Punchek stepped forward. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then Melia, he just, I mean, his position was right. He just, uh, you know, Molino's shot was just perfect. It, it, was a, it was a lot similar to what, to the one that Russell had on, Dane St. Clair earlier in the game where Dane made the save. And, and I think it was more Russell did not get enough of the ball. Um, and, and this one, Molina was able to curl it just enough to get it, to get it by Malia. I think Malia was, was in a good position for this one. Um, yeah. So eight minutes later, uh, Molino from Reynoso again, and I, this one was absolutely jaw dropping um, as Dan, Dan alluded to, because number one, I was watching the game and all of a sudden the ball was in the back of the net. I'm like, wait, what the fuck just happened? And then I saw the replay of Molino actually shooting. I was like, oh, wow, okay. And I was like, oh, wait, there's no way he was onside. And then you go back and watch the play, like rewatch the the replay again. And like, he was fucking onside. And that ball from Reynoso was fucking gorgeous. Dan? I think I've watched this goal legitimately without hyperbole between 25 and 50 times. (laughs) And every part of it, like this is a perfect goal. If this goal were scored by Manchester United or Bayern Munich or Barcelona, you, we would never stop seeing this goal. It'd be a Puskas this, award winner. Oh, it, it absolutely is. I mean, this yeah. is this is the type of goal that you see in highlight montages for thirty years to come. I look, I'm looking up, and I'm watching the uh, the Capital One commercial with Wayne Rooney's first goal. That it's that type of goal where you just yeah. see this over and over and over again. The the thing I'm going to highlight, well, the first thing I'm going to highlight on this goal is that the positioning of the players is absolutely fucking wild. Uh, 
so Minnesota's in the 4-2-3-1. Molina was ostensibly on the left in this formation. Lude is false nine centrally. If you look at his heat map, he played on the right with Finley. Um, further proving, he never should have been on the left. Yeah. Uh, on this play, Reynoso gets the ball. Metinair is standing in the 18 with his back to goal. The number of times you want a fullback standing back to goal in the 18, pretty few and far between. But as Reynoso keeps moving right, keeps moving right, keeps moving right, he is out of the corner of his eye watching for Gerso to start blocking down and cutting off his angle. And it is one step. Gerso makes one step towards Reynoso. Reynoso outside of the boot, pass to Metnair. Metnair knows exactly where Reynoso is going. Pass back to him. No one has rotated. And Gerso can't get back. So Reynoso has the chance to look up, and this is the point that Molino sees what's going to happen, jumps back on side, which is an incredible move on his part. And then Reynoso stands up what is an outrageously good pass. Because if it's six inches further, Malia comes out and gets it. If it's six inches shorter, the defense collapse on it. He pops it directly to where Kevin Molino can reach it. If you watch Malia on this play, he freezes and it looks like he shifts his weight as though he, he thinks Molino is going to try to get just studs on it to push it near post. Molino wraps a toe around it with a move that is an absolute pirouette and puts it far post. It is, to your point earlier, David, about it completely dispiriting Kansas City. Watch the defenders. Like, they all put the hand up. They think he's offside. He isn't. And they all start looking around, and Malia isn't even mad. No, like you can no. you can read his lips. He's just he kind of throws up a hand and just says, uh, "Come on, guys!" But he's not yelling. Like he, this was this was the most flawlessly executed. I'm gonna say undefendable goal. I think I've ever seen Minnesota United score. It, the only goal I can think of that was similar was Darwin Quintero's hat-trick chip against Toronto when I legitimately thought the Toronto keeper was going to dig a hole and die. <laughs> but it, it was that level of we were in this game until the moment we weren't, and it all started from Reynoso just baiting Gerso. And, I, and like, go for it. No, sorry, I was going to say, and Busio. He, he, he fucking owned Gerso and Busio. Uh, on Thursday night, like you know, we were we were worried, like you know, Espinosa maybe go studs up on Reynoso early in the game to you know show him, give him the what for or whatever. That didn't happen, and Reynoso just absolutely clowned Sporting Kansas City def uh, defenders and midfielders all fucking game. He absolutely did, but on that specific play, I think Gerso doesn't even make a mistake. That rotation is exactly what um, uh, an attacking midfielder should do in that situation, and Reynoso knew that and just rope a doped him into giving him the time and space he needed to put in just a phenomenal cross. I like, I was half watching this first half because I have a standing D and D game on Thursday, just in case you guys didn't know I was a huge fucking dork and looked up just in time to see this. And I think just turned like white as a ghost because <laughs> like it was truly, I, and I will stop talking and give you guys a break here, but a, a gloriously phenomenal goal in the most high-pressure situation this club has ever faced. Unbelievable. But those Sporks fans who think that it should be offside, Roberto Prunchek, who I thought was going to help 
solidify that back line more. He's the one who did not step up in time to, he's the one who was keeping uh, Molino onside. So. Yeah. And then, and then both their center backs step forward instead of back. And that's why it looks so offside. Yeah. It was the late step up. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's moving on because we know we had a hard we got a hard out at noon here. So, uh, yeah. so then uh, 39th minute. If there wasn't, if we hadn't stuck the dagger in uh, Sporting Kansas City at this point with that goal, four minutes later, off of a corner, uh, Minnesota United's uh, Bakai Debasi gets on the score sheet for the first time as the loon with a absolutely gorgeous uh, uh, in swinging uh, free kick from Reynoso. Um, Sporting Kansas City man marking. I don't. We don't have to talk much about this goal because it was pretty pretty standard. Winston Reed was just standing flat footed, couldn't get any any lift, and Debasi just gets up and gets big and puts the ball right behind to Malia. To, yeah. to the goal, to, to, to Malia's credit, I don't think there's anything he could have done with any of these goals. Like yeah. that's how good these goals were for Minnesota United. Uh, how and I and I honestly believe train like they they practice this stuff and Minnesota United. Um, one of the better scoring teams from uh, from free kicks and corner kicks this year. So you would have expected Peter Ver- uh, Peter Vermees team to be a little more um, uh, knowledgeable about that. But Bagai Debasi just gets up and gets big and, and puts the ball past Tim Malia. Reynoso getting the gentleman's hat trick of three assists. The only time – so he's the only person in history, MLS history, to get three assists in multiple playoff games. And he's done it in his first two playoff games with Minnesota. That's pretty fucking amazing. Yeah. So the guy has – more assists, I think, than now with including the playoffs than the MLS assist leader from the year, and he showed up in September. So again, Babelo uh, definitely deserving of that sort of newcomer of the year award. So and just like we knew, we knew that for Minnesota United to win this game, he needed to show up. He needed to be this star. He needed to to be the straw that stirred the drink. Kansas City knew that too. I assume. I mean, this is not a poorly coached team or a team that routinely gets boat raced by opponents. So the fact that they knew, like, hey, we really got to stop this guy, and Minnesota was fully able to say, yeah, good luck with that, I, I think is is a credit to Heath. It's a credit to Reynoso. It's a credit to Molino and the other attackers. But Kansas City, there was nothing they could do. Uh, if you watch Extra Time from this week, uh, Matt Doyle goes into a really nice talk about exactly what Minnesota United did, which I won't uh, repeat here. But it basically boiled down to – they made Ilya Sanchez decide if he wanted to be an attacker or a defender, and he couldn't defend Reynoso one-on-one well enough. And uh, I'm this was the most impressive game I think I've seen from Minnesota United, and it was so much fun. Yeah. Um, so we'll kind of just glide through most of the, the rest of the game because it was it was again as I mentioned suffocating. I mean, it's Minnesota. So in the forty-second minute, Reynoso gets a yellow card. Um, he's kind of hot-headed, so I, I, for most of the rest of the game, I was really worried he was going to get a second yellow. I think, especially since Sporting kind of went after him a little bit to try and to try and egg him on. Uh, definitely was worried about Boxel getting another yellow, which would have knocked him out for the Seattle, the Western Conference final. Luckily, none of those things happened. Um, in the 72nd minute, Dawson came on for Alonzo, Harrison came on for Reynoso in the 80th minute, and then uh, Hayes, Shakur Hayes, came on for Kevin Molino in the 88th minute. I think those are all great subs. I would have maybe done those subs a little earlier, um, maybe about 10 minutes earlier each for all those subs. But those are you know, pretty much exactly I, – I, I was arguing to get Box a lot of there just to, you know, to make sure we had the game locked up. But, uh, you know, I, I, I could easily see like that one doesn't have to happen. But I think those were those were the subs. And, again, I wish they would all happen maybe 10 minutes earlier. 
especially considering we had just had just suffocated uh, Kansas City. And, uh, you know, we'll say, you know, uh, there was a another podcaster uh, went out and uh, said some shitty things about the Heath out crowd. Basically, the Heath out crowd was deafening. The silence was deafening after this game. And I just I, I just don't understand people like that. Um, I'm not even going to dignify uh, his like just letting you know who to go fucking harass. You can figure it out yourself if you want or find me uh, find me on the on the Twitter. I'll let you know who to go harass about that. But Adrian, Heath had a had a perfect game plan. Now, like the execution and, and we'll, we have a question about this in a little bit. The first 20 minutes was a little dicey and it relied on a lot of luck, but. They got the goals. They got the goals that they needed, and then they just they locked it down on defense. And got to be got to give credit to Adrian Heath when he does these things well. Uh, a a good run of games does not you know does not forgive the sins of the past and the you know the ongoing current sins. However, you know he's done the last ten games. He's been he's been really good. He's had a he's had a good game plan, and he's had the players to, to who were able to execute his game plan. I think that is. A big thing that you know definitely probably didn't get a lot of enough credit, or he didn't get enough, or he you know he got he got shit on too much probably by me and by other people for some of his tactics and stuff early on because he didn't have the right players. Um, he's gotten the right players, and 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 Adrian Heath as the as the GM as the sporting director role or whatever has pretty much nailed almost every single decision that he's had to make in the course of the last uh, year and a half. So got to give him credit for that. And maybe he's a better man- general manager than he is a coach. That's a, I think that's a very valid, uh, valid question. So MJ. In my previous criticisms of not just Adrian Heath, but the entire coaching staff, I can say from coaching myself, sometimes it takes a few games or sometimes a few years for your concepts to sink in. I don't think that's necessarily what's happening with Minnesota United, but I will grant as a possibility that Keith may have been saying all the things that I want to increase defensive responsibilities and discipline to have a more attacking uh, on the pitch passing and moving going forward. And the players just weren't executing. That is, yeah. that is possible, but all the time that we've been criticizing Heath on this podcast, we have never said we want Heath to fail. We want the team to fail. Like we want Heath and the team to do well. Well, and and part of it is, you know, it isn't completely his coaching style. I mean, a a lot of it is his attitude. I mean, he's a prick. Um, He, you know, he's dismissive. He's right all the time. Um, his attitude towards the fans, um, towards the press, towards women, uh, especially women in the press. He's, you know, he's terrible. Um, we know women in the press who've, you know, told us horror stories. Um, he, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, that's, you know, that's just typical of him. Um, you know, his, his whining at the beginning of the season was just, you know, just, you know, embarrassing. Um, so, you know, it's well-deserved, um, our criticism, uh, criticism of him. Um, you know, so I apologize for none of that. Again, it's, it's a fair point and, uh, a good one to make too. Like you can separate, you got to separate some of those things out. Um, you can say he's been, he's done well on the, uh, on the tactical side and, and he's been less well on the, on the humanity side. Um, I think that is a understatement. Yeah. The, the very least so so let's get that beer out 
<laughs> it's, it's coming out. It's coming out. And we're going to hopefully, hopefully maybe enjoy it. And uh, I can, let's say this, if we make it to the MLS cup final, I will, I will make goddamn sure that everybody who's a Patreon, who's getting that beer has that beer for the MLS cup final, which would be a week from today. So we'll figure it out. Um, all right. So I just want to, Neil before me, I was the only one who predicted uh, Minnesota United victory. Um, albeit not in the way that we, <laughs> I did not expect a thorough domination. Um, but I did say three goals, right, guys? So there is that. To Dan's credit. credit, he also said three goals. I did. I just said four, three loss. I yeah. just I thought sports would actually figure out how to finish because they usually do. They do. They do. All right, let's get to our Freddie Adus uh, for Minnesota. Uh, Dan, let's start with you. Uh, so my good Freddie Adu, <laughs> last week, none of us mentioned Reynoso in this segment. Like, yeah, there were other players that were good, right. but I feel like we, one of us should actually mention that this time. Yeah. So my, my good Freddie Adu is Emmanuel Reynoso. Look, when you have DPs in this league with, a, with the way the salary structure works, if your DPs don't perform, you are at a disadvantage. And you look at the teams that win MLS Cup that are consistently good, they don't lose on their DPs. They are the players who day in, day out win you games. And and I mentioned uh, this on last week's pod. Um, Matt Doyle called out Reynoso. Nah, that's, that's too harsh. Mentioned that Reynoso had been really good, but he had been doing it against a B-grade opposition and that Away to sporting is exactly why you bring in a player of his quality. Now he needs to show it. What did Reynoso do? Gentleman's hat trick in the first half. Uh, that's what your DPs are for. He showed up and did it. Unbelievable performance. I won't belabor this point further. Uh, my shitty Freddie Adu, Chase Gasper. All of sporting's dangerous chances came down that left side. Uh, so... That's a. It, I guarantee that's something Seattle saw as well. Uh, he did limp off at the end with a gash that apparently needed like seven stitches. So we'll yeah. see. He may not be available for this game again. I wonder if he was fully healthy in, to begin with in this game. Right. But in any case, the Loons played exceedingly well. He was the weakest link in the chain. Yeah. MJ. Last time I focused on defense. This time I'm going to focus on defense. Just like last week, I thought. Marlon Harrison deserved a little bit more credit than I was giving him in the past for stepping up huge, but did not make my Freddie Adu best player of the game. This time, I thought Ozzy Alonso in the center midfield was phenomenal return to form, but that's what we expect out of him in big moments. So he just doesn't quite make the Freddie Adu. So I'm going to give it credit to where credit's due, Michael fucking Boxall, someone who I've critiqued for stepping up at the wrong times. He only did it once that I saw in the, in this game. And other than that, he was the one dropping back when the attack, when Sporting Kansas City was making these great single pass, odd person rushes at Dane St. Clair. He was the one, I'm going to be back and, and be back to help my, my goalkeeper in a way that I have not seen in the last three to five games. And he was more disciplined. Love that unlike the boxer. And your your shitty Freddie do? It's like they flip flopped. <laughs> Last game against Colorado, Michael Boxel was doing all these reckless step ups, and Debassi was dropping back and making these amazing clearances to help Dave take care of this week. It was Debassi like aggressively stepping up. So Debassi gets my shitty Freddie do for not realizing in certain key moments that. 
gas were getting beat around the corner and Ozzy Lonzo stepping up on that left side means that he has to drop back. Right. Uh, yeah, I'll, you know, I'm going to go chase Gasper for my shitty Freddy dude, just for all the exact same things that, that uh, Dan said. Again, I, I kind of agree. I think you might've been hurt. Not hundred percent going into this game. And then you could make a very strong argument for DSC for this one um, just because of the amazing saves that he made. Um, although I, I just want to say his distribution leaves a lot to be desired and everybody talking about how, you know, I think this is his job to lose next year. I think, and I think Minnesota legitimately tries to get to trade Tyler Miller and see if they can get anything of value from him. Um, I'm just, I, his distribution was just not good in this game at all. And it hasn't been good pretty much the entirety of his time. And that's something that I think that you could definitely work on the, the, his reaction time and his length and, and how, you know, how quickly he's able to move. You can't really, that's hard to teach. So he has the, the hard parts, are, are there that he, that he needs. Now it's just working on the, the smaller parts that are going to refine him from a, a really good MLS goalkeeper to a European, uh, a player who can play at a European top club, you know, Europa champions league type of goalkeeper. So Dean was, was very close. I got to give it to hot boy. That, that like second goal was again, like I said, Puskas material. Um, the first goal was just great finishing again, as I mentioned, he could easily done what Johnny Russell did and, and sort of like not hit it well. And Malia's out there. He's got, he's, you know, the, the right position and Malia was able to curl it around the guy again, you know, for all the complaints, yes, doesn't really play defense, whatever. Um, he plays defense in that up, that up temple press that Minnesota has when they turn the ball over in the sporting Kansas city or their, their offensive zones, he's able to play some defense there. And that is really, I think that's all we can expect from hot boy. And I think that is all that we, they should want to expect from hot boy, honestly. So I give it to Kevin Molino as my Freddie do star of the game. Um, let's jump over to, Oh, sorry, Bill. Yeah. I bring Bill yeah I'm still here. Bill, Bill has, Bill has a true, a true Freddie do for Minnesota United. So yeah, it, it is. It's a true, uh, I have, uh, I, I have, uh, Romain Metinair. um, you know, and, and to me, he's been this all season. Um, you know, he is, uh, he is completely for me, at least, um, a hundred percent, a different person this year than last year. Um, last year, his defense was amazing last year for me. Um, he was solid, um, this year, um, I see him get burned all the time this year. Um, people get around him, uh, turn the corner on him, uh, get, you know, get the pass in on him. Um, and, uh, you know, last year I hated his offense last year. He was, uh, he was just cross after cross after cross and it, and it, and they were to nobody. They were just lobbed up there, um, this year. Um, and, and it was, and this year he cuts in and I, and I give a lot of that, uh, to Reynoso. He's going to Reynoso. Um, and this game, he was, he was part of that passing in with Reynoso and, uh, and, and him and Finley play such an important role of drawing players off of Reynoso. Um, and that's a huge part of our offense and they did that well this game. Um, and, uh, and so for me, it was, his defense was lacking this game, um, and uh, you, you really saw that when we were having to triple down on players on that side. 
you saw Ozzy coming down. Ozzy, there was a point there where I thought Ozzy was going to get a yellow card. Um, he came down so hard. Um, and then, you know, so for me, it was met in air. He was just, you know, he's, he's become such a night and day difference. Right on. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's skip the, the Freddie Deuce for the sporks. Um, just because I know we're, we're running, uh, we're running low on time and we have some, we have some questions. Uh, I want to start with a couple of, uh, uh, listener questions. I think we can, we can bang out real quick. Um, Josh E asks, will Inchi be coach of the year? And the answer to that is no, because they already voted on that. So Inchi's not going to win coach of the year. Um, and nor in his be. head. Yeah. In his head. Yes. In his head. He's, he's always one. He's the best coach ever. So you guys have any thoughts on that? He certainly deserves credit. I think he, yeah. he dealt with a lot this year. Uh, but uh, Jim Carton at Philly, who then won the Shield, um, has been building a great project over there. And Philly looked great for the regular season. So one, yes, this is a regular season award. But two, Jim Carton flat out does deserve it. Yeah. And I don't think they give a coach of the playoffs award. They no. do not. No, no. But I, I, I think she's up there. You know, he's you, could, you, you, you know he's in that top three. Yeah, you can make a legitimate argument for that. You can make a legitimate argument for executive of the year. I mean, with all the, with the signings that they've made and the the trades and everything have been. You know, with the exception of Raheem Edwards, for got some god awful reason, we can't figure out why Raheem Edwards is not getting into the lineup um, yeah. or into the eighteen at all. And pretty much everything that he's done has has hit. So yeah. Um, all right, our friend uh, Andy Schletz uh, at the Cribs asks, uh, "Moment of the match versus Sporks." Uh, he said the Boxy's goal saving header was it for him. So let's go through rapid fire, quick. What was your moment of the match? Um, I'll start. I'm gonna say I guess it was that that Molino goal, um, and particularly that Reynoso. Uh, Reynoso to Molino that second the second Molino goal. That's obvious. That's the obvious one. I will take uh, Ozzy Alonso kick fouling uh, Espinoza to let him know what's up early on in the game, <laughs> and then completely shutting down. I think it was Kyrie Shelton. Um, it might have been might have been Gerso, but s- someone cutting in because Gasper was out of position. He takes over at at left back essentially and just shuts the guy down with a sliding tackle block right on dan dsc's save on one check for me it was the third in the sequence of legitimate kansas city chances it was probably the most clear cut of all of them uh and i think that's really where the match turned uh because it was not 10 minutes later that molino scored and the, and the the loons blitz started right and bill yeah for me it was just Reynoso's perfect you know placement of passes and that you know is epitomized by that that first goal and his uh his pass up to up to molino right on all right uh eric greedy has a couple questions uh we'll start with the first one uh why in the last two three games have we come out flat and get punched in the mouth for 15 minutes before we come to life and could we not do that on monday because i don't want to have a heart attack uh eric i'll say Yes, I don't want to have a heart attack either. And watching your team get punched in the mouth for fifteen to twenty minutes uh, for the first part of games is not uh, is not sustaining sustainable. But as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, sometimes you need luck as well. And Minnesota has hopefully they haven't run out of their their luck um, would be my uh, my assertion there. And um, I don't know. Is there anything? Is there it's sort of like tangential? His question if, very quickly, if you guys want to. Um, what can Minnesota do to prevent that? Is I guess the biggest, the bigger question. Heath out. Heath out. That's always the answer. Bill, Bill knows. Bill's Bill has uh, has been has missed the podcast for the last several months, but he is not he's not missed a beat. Uh, put it no, that. 
but that's coaching. You know, you come out strong because of coaching. Right. Yeah, I think I think a big part of it is the thing that Reynoso does really, really, really well is finding space. And some of that takes figuring out where the defense wants to be and then finding where they're not. And that's really hard to do from the first whistle because the defense hasn't really set into position yet. So as much as the loons offer going forward, it's not something that they do in not instinctively necessarily they don't create that they're doing it in opposition to where the defense is set up so what they need to do is figure out and this comes down to players like finley and lude who can progress the ball um through opposition a little bit more they need to assert where they want to be more than just reacting to where the defense is right and and i think having having a little bit more of the ball early on would be would help in that too like you you're forcing the defense to actually to make those movements into into to allow the space to be created for um, for Reynoso and Molino and Lude and Finley to, to maneuver around the first couple of games, Minnesota has been thoroughly dominated in the first 15, 20 minutes with, you know, with the ball. And I think that is maybe the the point of the other teams is that they think they can come out and punch Minnesota in the face. That is, I mean, maybe, you know, if, if Sporting Kansas City gets one goal there, I don't necessarily think that this game changes all that much. I think Minnesota still does what they do. Um, and I think they still get two or three goals. I still think Minnesota wins this game. If they, now if Kansas City gets two, maybe a different story because they can bunker a lot more. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's the game plan of, of teams playing against Minnesota is like come out, win those battles, try and punch them in the face, try and get one or two early on, and and then bunker. I'm not sure that is going to work against a Minnesota team. MJ, the psychology of when defenses lapse is the start of half, the ends of half after you score a goal, after your opponents just score a goal, the tendency for you to not be thinking about defense and be more optimistic about your chances of scoring on offense are those moments. And these need to be drilled in, as Bill has said, from a coaching standpoint. You know, whether that's on Sean McCauley, Heath, Ian Fuller, I don't care. That, that needs to be – and in Colorado's situation – it wasn't so much the first 15, 20 minutes of the first half. We look flat-footed and like Colorado, if they had finishing power, could have scored three on us in the second half. You know, we, we came out horrible in the second half of that game. And it's just the, these starts of halves, there needs to be a better defense-first discipline about shutting down the opponents. Uh, all right. And then uh, Grady, second question. Uh, is Dan going to apologize for not liking Molino's game because he dribbles too much and has too many turnovers? And I'm going to throw it to MJ first, and then Dan, I'll let you. I'll let you defend yourself. I don't think Dan has any reason to apologize for this because this is not a false dichotomy, all or nothing sort of thing with Molino. Molino's ability to score goals is phenomenal, and just because he can do that doesn't mean we excuse his poor ability or lack of effort on the other side of the ball. Everyone can improve. Everyone can do things a little bit better. And everyone has their own strengths and weaknesses. And so calling out Molino for weaknesses, even when he does amazing things on the other end, is not a valid, you know, criticism of Dan. <laughs> I appreciate the backing, MJ. And yeah, no, I'm not apologizing even a little bit. Uh, look, uh, we... 
we suffered through Robin Lude being on the left for a really long time. The fact that he's now really good on the right doesn't justify what he used to be. And this is not a reflection on him. It's the way Heath was using him. I feel the exact same way about Molino. What we're watching from Kevin Molino is his ability to finish, which is phenomenal, unbelievably good, truly elite for this league. But that doesn't make him really good on the ball. He's not making a lot of these opportunities. On his two goals, he took a about four touches total. And my complaint is that when he gets the ball in the midfield, he takes four touches and doesn't move six feet. Mm-hmm. So uh, no, I'm, I'm definitely not apologizing. This fits into what I've been saying for weeks, which is this team had a Reynoso shaped hole and they filled it. And all of a sudden, all of these other pieces came together. But the fact that we're not seeing Kevin Molino dance on the ball and hope to get fouled, that's a feature, not a bug. Uh, and I think we should we should absolutely praise him for his finishing ability and maybe look a little side-eye at Adrian Heath for not seeing what Kevin Molino was, which is a great finisher, but not a great creator, uh, and and putting him too long in the in the yet another square peg in a round hole, essentially. Yeah, I think I think the maybe the biggest takeaway from this year is that uh in spite of his his bullheadishness. Um, Inchi finally figured out the best places for the pieces that he has on this team. I think that is, I mean, that's, I, that maybe is like damning with faint praise, but I think that is legitimately, if you, if I had to argue about this being, you know, the best, this is the best job that Adrian, he has done as, as a, as a manager, as the head coach of Minnesota United period. Um, and I think it's because number one, he brought in the right people, which was great. And then number two, he, um, he actually figured out where they needed to be in order to do the things that that they could do, right? He, uh, unlock Reynoso, uh, unlock Molino. Um, and he tried for a long time just to keep, yeah, keep pounding that uh, square peg into a round hole, but eventually he figured it out. So that, you know, if you want to give credit where it's due, it's probably, probably very much there. So, all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will talk other United news and uh, some very, very, very exciting Ford Madison news to talk about as well. So we'll be right back. talk uh we have some other united news uh mls is bonkers the uh culmination of the playoffs here coming up and then we have some four some very 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 fun for madison news to talk about but let's talk uh, other united news first so i don't know if you guys saw this but uh i believe it was espn uh jeff carlisle reported that mls is coming up with contingency plans for hosting the mls cup final uh right now it's going to be hosted by the team the highest seeded remaining team uh, Columbus is the highest remaining seeded team. So if they win on Sunday, they're going to host. If they lose and it's New England, who is the Eastern Conference representative, then it'll be whoever wins the Seattle-Minnesota game. However, obviously MLS has been – you can read this on ESPN.com if you want to check it out. Um, but basically they've been determining with the contingency pl- – the COVID plans that have gone in, in Columbus, in the, the county where Columbus is located. Obviously Minnesota is in a, a lockdown right now. Seattle, Washington's in a, in a lockdown right now. And then fuck Massachusetts because they don't get a chance to host it. Uh, there's very just relatively strict lockdowns. Um, Seattle hasn't had fans in their stadiums. Obviously, Minnesota has not had 
fans in stadiums at all. But Columbus has had fans. I believe like 1500 fans have been in there, have been allowed in their stadium. So um, there's a, I guess, apparently a very real possibility that this the main game could get moved to someplace like Orlando, which theoretically they might be allowed to add more fans to the game, but I'm not sure who the hell is traveling down to Orlando to watch a game. So the quote from MLS is that this is the backup to the backup plan, um, that this is not their first plan, that ideally they prefer to have whoever wins, whoever has the highest seed to host, but who the fuck knows with MLS, right? As a yeah. former quality control engineer, I just want to say having a backup to the backup is always a good idea. It is MLS though, so, you know. Well, wait, are you saying there are things that they implement that might not be executed that seamlessly? No, I, yeah, exactly. Couldn't uh, they do it in like the, the Houston stadium where nobody ever is? <laughs> no, there's a there's a, a a non-zero chance that I would drive straight down 35 to Houston to watch that game in person <laughs> if I had the opportunity. So um, I, I'm kidding. There's there's zero chance I would drive anywhere to watch uh, a game live with with other people um, no. in the stands. So. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Dark Clouds uh, hosted their end of the year awards ceremony and uh, and began the silent auction. Um, the uh, it was really cool. We so I'm I'm a, a small um, but I don't think insignificant part of of this end of the year awards event. Normally we put it on at one of our partner bars. Uh, last year was at the Black Heart. It's normally super fun. We have you know eighty to hundred people show up. You know, all the dark clouds, luminaries, the the old, the gray clouds, as you, as they are now, they refer to themselves. Um, you know, we tend, tend to get, you know, people from the team, players show up and, and all that. It's it's really cool. And unfortunately with, you know, the COVID and, and everything, and this is 2020 has been a really fucked up year. We had to do it in a slightly different way. And I think actually, um, I actually think the way that we did it was, was really cool. And they did, we did it via Twitch. If you haven't watched a Twitch stream of a game, I highly encourage it. Uh, the people on there are, are fun. They like to banter. It's uh, you can interact with them. Uh, it's, you know, it's not the same as watching the match at the Blackheart or at Ladonia or at any other, you know, bar where you get together with your soccer friends. Uh, however, it was, um, it was, it was, it was still good. I think very much so. So the end of the year awards, uh, Michael Boxo was one, won the player of the year award and the newcomer of the year obviously was Babelo. My question is, who who do you think would have won the award if it was? And these are all awards that are all voted on by Dark Clouds. So these are our personal awards. There's um, no team no team involvement at all or anything like that. We Dark Clouds vote on them. But who would have won the newcomer of the year award if it hadn't been Babelo? Can I backtrack and just say, if Dane St. Clair started out this year or had to come in earlier for an injured Tyler Miller, Dane St. Clair probably would have been the player of the year award. Dane St. Clair wasn't eligible. He played last year, man. No, I, I said backtracking to the player of the year over Michael Boxall. Oh, oh, player of the year. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, okay. I just want to backtrack. Like, like I think if he would have had the number of games under his belt or the, you know, started closer to the beginning of the year, if that Miller injury happened earlier, I think Dane St. Clair gets the player of the year award. Um, Possibility, yeah. Uh, on the new comer of the year award it's hard to you know without without Reynoso I like I like Marlon Harrison but again that's not a lot of games under his belt the 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 weird thing is Raheem Edwards has an amazing number of assists in the very few games he's played yeah not as impressive as Reynoso yeah but you know he's in the doghouse 
in, in terms of in terms of players who who played consistently in the starting eleven, um, you, you guys you you could consider Bakai Debasi and and Jose Aha, uh, Aha who stepped up pretty pretty dramatically when um, you know Icapara went was able to participate in the Orlando's back tournament and then he played a lot. Um, he played a lot this year. I think a lot more than than most dark clouds and Minnesota United fans expected him to play. So I could have seen an argument for those two. But Babelo obviously comes in and it's he he runs away with it and legitimately could possibly have been the player of the year too if we're if we're if yeah. we're splitting hairs, right? Yeah. He he unlocked as Dan likes to say he unlocked something in Minnesota that was a gigantic hole that we maybe knew we had but probably didn't know that we had. He just he was the one who unlocked it. So. Yeah. Yeah, he changed. He changed the trajectory of our team. Um, I thought Aha uh, for me, uh, just he played above any expectation we had for him. Um, you know, he wasn't he wasn't you know great, but he played above. You know, we saw him as a sub that would uh, that would be there. You know, probably behind Coleman even. Um, so, you know, the fact that he stepped up was great. Right. And and he earned that spot. Um, a really cool thing that because we weren't able to give these in person, um, the, and to be fair, the, the players the the players generally don't necessarily come for the award ceremony. Um we had we have had players come and accept them in, in person in the past. Jerry Tayson, a great example, is the newcomer of the year in 2017. He came and accepted his award. Um but they generally don't. But because we had, you know, we're in these COVID restrictions, we were able to get the player the awards out to the players uh, earlier this week. And Angie Blaker, uh, bless her heart, was able to get some video of the players accepting the awards. And Adrian Heath himself actually giving the awards to the players. And it was really, it was, I think it was really cool. They were all in the locker room. All, the entire team was there. Uh, everybody cheered. It was, it was really great. To, really great to see. That's great. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I, I, assume, should. I assume Neil had Logan had some coordination yes, yes. Well. So, so so yeah neil so yeah shout out to neil logan he's the one who who organizes the awards part portion of of this event every year um he does a really great job <laughs> we're just, he had to drop off one of the one of the awards for me to give to somebody uh yeah, earlier this week and we were both joking and he was like yeah i should probably rope someone else in next year so someone else knows how to do this and i was like yeah, for the auction stuff, I should probably rope someone else in so someone else knows how to do this because, you know, those those two parts are, are very big components of it and and are often sort of just me and Neil just step up and and, and run them. So, um, so if you're interested in helping out with any of this stuff in future in future years, uh, let me know. You can slide into the TDA KMN DMs and we'll uh, hook you up. So, well, I apologize that I wasn't there watching. I was too busy watching the worst titled movie of all time, Mank. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> How was that? I liked it a lot. It's the new David Fincher joint, it's, right? Yeah, yeah. It started oh. really slow, and I wasn't sure. And then about the forty-minute mark, it got really good. Yeah, I mean, it, it the, rest to watch of, that, so. the rest of the movie was great. That's awesome. All right, good to know. That's my uh, review. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I'm sure we'll have plenty of uh, of, of reviews of stuff uh, in the future as the when the season winds down here in in a week. Um, the other awards that we give out are the. Uh, Dark Clouds uh, Awards, um, a Iron Skill Award, Jackass of the Year, and the Buzz Lagos Lifetime Achievement Award. We don't necessarily give out the Buzz Lagos Lifetime Achievement Award every year, but this year we did, uh, and it was won by Tony Sane, um, which was obviously a well-deserved well, well -deserved recipient. Yeah. 
Neil and, and Rich were out there and actually presented the award to him in person and got we got a, a nice two minute video of Rich and Neil and, and Tony uh, talking about it. So that was great. MTA non theory says that uh, this is all cronyism. Tony Santa benefited from the charity auction, one of, one of our sponsors slash partners. And we're just, you know, scratching the back of the one that feeds us. Who said this? MJ Anon. No, it's a, it's a, it's a whole thing. Who? That who, who? You, yeah, you haven't exactly. been here for, for the hashtag MJ Anon conspiracy theories, Bill. No, Bill, exactly. Who no, is, I know, is, is I know, is, is I know question. very well about this, but yeah, this, no, this, this is, this is, uh, yeah. <laughs> Tony uh, Sane, uh, I have the utmost respect for Tony. Right. Well deserved. Uh, Yes. He's uh he's a stand-up person who does uh, more than any anyone I've ever met for the good of the community. Yeah, not just soccer too, just like but the, oh. the community, the east side of St. Paul. Uh, Soccer's community. a tiny, tiny bit of right. what he exactly. does, you know. Yeah. And sorry, go ahead, MJ. He gets soccer equipment not only to the youth of the Twin Cities, but to Haiti. And he as Bill pointed out, not only soccer-related things, but other relief to Haiti and the neighborhood of the Twin Cities. Um, it's absolutely incredible what his nonprofit has done. Yeah. If you want to learn more, it's uh, sanafoundation.org. It's S-A-N-N-E-H foundation.org. Um, the, uh, the other awards that were given out, the Jackass of the Year Award went to Ty Hoagland. Um, you might not know who Ty is. Ty is basically has been running the TIFO committee this year. Uh, he stepped up in a pretty sizable way. Um, and you're saying, oh, we didn't have a ton of TIFO this year. We actually had way more TIFO than we would than we probably would have had in, in a year where we there was literally no fans in the stands. And the other thing that uh, should be pointed out is Ty Hoagland is 17 years old. Uh, he is, yeah, and he he st- responded to an email, a Dark Clouds email asking if people wanted to get involved. Help out, he said yes, and then all of a sudden he was like running the TIFO committee and didn't and has done an amazing job. Um, which you know, again, if you if you are interested at all in any of this stuff, um, just reach out to the Dark Clubs. We have plenty of opportunities for people to get involved. I'm hoping to step away from my responsibilities in the next year or two, so I you know, definitely would love to try and groom someone to take over what I do. Um, which is again a lot of behind the scenes stuff, people don't necessarily see me uh out front all the time, but um, there's lots of people like Ty who are who are like that. Um, I was able to, I was the one who had to go give him this award. And so I had to uh, craft a narrative about why I would be going out to see a 17 year old in, in Plymouth, Minnesota <laughs> on a Friday morning at like 1030 in the morning. Um, and then if you watch the, if you watch the events, there's, we have videos of, of all these, uh, all these awards being given. And my videos of me, basically it's like me sitting by my trunk and like starting to film him and him like walking, stopping for a good like two or three seconds, like what the fuck is going on? And then me, you know, yelling, hey, sorry, I'm here on nefarious purposes to a 17 year old, me as a 38 year old man saying it to a 17 year old boy, I'm here under nefarious purposes with my trunk half open. You didn't like, make it, you didn't make it worse at all by, by doing any oh, of that. Oh no, not, yeah, 100%, <laughs> no, it, it wasn't, it didn't look like I was asking him to help me go bury a body or something. So, um, Anyways, so that was great. It was awesome. He was definitely a well-deserving winner of the Jackass of the Year Award. And then the Iron Skillet Award uh, was definitely uh, well-deserved by and won by Erin Green, who, again, you might not know if you're not uh, heavily involved with the Dark Clouds, but she is basically – she any merch that you bought from the Dark Clouds this year has gone through Erin Green's house. 
Um, and basically the merch lived at her house for a good solid six months. And it, we were able to do masks. We were able to do t-shirts. We were able to do uh, scarves and things like that. All that is because Aaron was able uh, and willing to basically run uh, a merchandise uh, outfit from from one of the rooms in her house. So yeah, totally so well deserved. Well deserved. Right. It kept you know the the dark clouds is is entirely volunteer run. Um, all the money we raise, we basically we make our money on very minimal memberships, but also like the merch that we sell, and so that's why we're able to do a lot of the cool shit. And the fact that we were able to still do merch during the middle of a pandemic and put out new stuff and, and get people interested and buy things means that the organization itself is going to be sustainable for quite a long time um, yeah. that we can, you know we can do it. So definitely another well, well-deserved winner of the iron skillet. And if you haven't seen the iron skillet, it's, it's really cool. Uh, Neil pick, gets a literally an iron skillet delivers to the team. Everybody in the team signs it. Uh, and then it's just a really cool piece of thing, uh, you know, thing that you can hang on your wall. Um, definitely don't cook with it. Cause it's, you know, that uh, Sharpie marker probably doesn't taste good in uh, in like, you know, eggs or something, but it's a really cool award. And if you want to, I believe that they're going to be posting the award ceremony on YouTube. Um, and I think you can watch it on the Twitch dot uh, TV slash dark clouds, I believe is the, is the website. If you want to go back and watch it, it's only, it's about, it's a little over an hour. Um, we talk about some of the auction items. So if you're interested in learning a little bit more about the auction items that we have uh, available this year, um, you can do that. And then again, if you want to bid on the silent auction, it's uh, 32auctions.com slash darkcloud. And that auction goes until Tuesday at 7 p.m. And then we're setting up, um, as part of that too, a uh, curbside drag auction item pickup uh, on Friday the 11th from 5 to 9. We have a dark cloud who is going to be uh, bringing the items out to your car as a, as in their drag king persona. So it would be very, very cool if you are interested and you want to get something uh, the black heart will be open from five to nine as well. So if you were there to like want to get food and beer uh, for your Friday night, you can also then pick up your whatever auction items you win. So, um, so yeah, definitely 32 auctions.com slash dark cloud. There's lots of cool stuff there. I definitely would. Oh, and didn't you mention at the beginning, uh, there's a Bakai, a Bakai Debasi signed shirt. Uh, in wow. A uh, guy who just scored a goal, his first goal for Minnesota United. So definitely go check it out. If, if, uh, if you, you know, there's a couple terms there that we use: the iron skillet and 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 jackass. And uh, you know, there's a lot of people who don't know the the origin of those. And if you go to the Dark Clouds website and you go, there's a history section of the Dark Clouds that goes into where all these names came came from. I'm not going to go into that now because they're right. long stories, but uh, it's well worth the read of the history of the Dark Clouds because uh, they're funny stories. Uh, it, the dark clouds have a great and long history. Absolutely do. So let's talk very quickly about the the rest of the other MLS playoff games. So Columbus beat Nashville two to nothing. Uh, both those goals coming in stoppage time, or sorry, not stoppage time, extra time. Um, Nashville played a very valiant game, but just didn't have enough to get to uh, to get over the hump in in Columbus. So that means Columbus will be hosting the New England Revolution uh, on Sunday at two p.m. on ABC. Um, and then the other game, obviously, we mentioned, um, we'll talk about it a little bit here. Seattle Sounders beat FC Dallas 1-0. Again, Seattle played a, a really great game. FC Dallas had an even better game plan, uh, but Seattle com- literally converted on their, their one really good opportunity. And so Seattle will host us on Monday at 8.30 p.m. Um, Columbus versus New England. Columbus uh, is, gonna be fa- is slightly favored in that game, uh, plus 125. The Revolution, the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference at plus 205, 
Um, however, New England Revolution are maybe one of the hotter teams in MLS right now. They got back uh, Carlos Gill uh, and then got um, Bo. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to remember his first name. They got back two of their uh, really great, really great players and snuck into the, play- you know, I guess snuck in the playoffs as the eight seed, had to play one of the play-in games and are now maybe one of the hotter teams along with Minnesota uh, and quite frankly, Seattle in, in MLS right now. I don't know if you saw on the extra time bit after the Minnesota United game, but they replayed both Burmese saying that we were the underdog, according to the pundits. He used a very vague term, pundits. So, like, he didn't mention odds because no one was picking odds-wise right. in favor of Minnesota United. And then they got Adrian Heath's response to that, like, who, who just kind of yeah. laughed, laughed it off. Yeah. In, in a very... He, he didn't take the bait and no. he actually did really well in that interview. And then they followed those two interviews up. I don't know when it's from, but Bruce Arena is, is being asked about the underdog question. And he said something very dismissive, like when you get players at this level, I don't think they're motivated very much with talk like that. Yeah. Fucking Bruce Arena, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he he's motivation enough. I mean, just having that man be your coach. Um, I would not want him to come down hard on me. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah. Old school as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Vermes is another one. I would not want that guy coming down. Oh, no. Me. he. Yeah. We're, I was joking with somebody. Uh, they were making a joke that anytime you, the, the camera cuts to Peter Vermees, it was the he, J, J. Jonah Jameson yelling at Peter Parker to get pictures of Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. When, so that New England, uh, Gustavo Bo. Gustavo uh, Bo, yes. Bo. Yeah. I mean, what what a return. Uh, that guy's amazing. Yeah. And that that match, just watching Orlando meltdown was was worth, you know, the two hours watching that right. match. Yes, it was. <laughs> um, and, it was a meltdown. That that is that is, that goes without saying. It was oh, very much they, a meltdown. They complain about everything. It's just brutal watching them. Yeah. Um. That ref could have given a yellow card. The actually the ref let that get out of hand. He should if yeah. he could have given out some yellow cards earlier. He, he would have taken that under control. Yeah, for sure. That, that's the ref's fault. For sure. So yeah. Lesson to the youth soccer players out there. Do not be a junior or a nani and yeah. put your hands on the ref and berate the ref. That's that's not good behavior. Yeah. Touching the ref should be a red card immediately. Yeah. I also love that nani can't hit a spot kick to save his life anymore. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. All right. Let's move on from MLS to uh, a league that we actually care about, uh, Ford Madison and uh, the USL Championship or League One. Uh, Madison made a really, really amazing hire uh, with Carl Fook and Craig uh, is now the manager of Ford Madison. So wow, we all obviously have very, very, we could probably spend another hour telling Carl Craig stories, um, both from him on the pitch as well as drinking with him. Um, <laughs> let's, let's try and keep it, let's try and keep it tight. This is, I mean, honestly, this is just an absolutely great hire. Um, yeah. MJ? I like bragging about his resume to people that don't know. I remember reading articles about him in Minnesota way after I knew he was our coach and way after drinking with him and having cool conversations with him. The guy has an FA 
badge from England. He's got a U.S. Soccer Federation uh, class A class A license, uh, and he's trained with the KNDB in Dutch. He's been to Italy and observed and trained with uh, coaches there. The guy just wants to learn and teach and coach. He just wants to absorb everything about the game. And then the other thing I recently realized, he's taken classes in sports management from Newcastle College, his hometown. And he's taken classes in things like neurolinguistics and sports psychology. He just wants to improve his team and improve his players in the, all the weird ways. He's a guy who, uh, you know, it, so many people just know his, uh, the personality of, of Carl Craig, but he's a guy who respects the game so much. Um, you know, sitting down and talking to him about about the game, you just the, the love of, of the game comes out of him. And uh, you'll make a flippant remark about, you know, what you think you know about the game and and he'll he'll tell you four reasons why why you're wrong about it and all four of them will just destroy you know your idea and it's it's amazing and and you'll just you know you'll grow to just you know appreciate his knowledge so much yeah he is that's that is the thing he's he's a character and and somebody even say a caricature of of a jordy um literally played in punk rock bands and uh you know hard drinking all that but the guy is also one of the smartest soccer people you'll ever you'll ever ever meet and i think that is what i, I tweeted at the ford madison account i was like you guys like you don't know the, the, the to the fans basically it's like you guys have no idea what you got when you got carl craig like you got one of the best uh one of the best soccer stories uh soccer people in in the upper midwest for sure and maybe all you know all of the united states so um it's it'll be interesting it's great to see that um is uh you know, he's re reunited with some of his former former players uh jc banks uh connor connor tobin turbo um speaking of jc banks he has a we have a game worn jersey in the dark cloud silent auction 32 auctions.com slash dark cloud if you want to get that get in on that and then, uh, yeah so i mean i'm sure i'm sure uh turbo and, and carl will have uh will have some some fun things to talk about so mj yeah i remember being at the local after celebrating when the minnesota stars in 2011 won the soccer bowl for nesl and Tobin, Turbo Tobin was not even on that team, but we were celebrating it the next season in 2012, and he was on that team. And even early on in that celebration, I was talking to, to Tobin about Manny Lagos's roles with the club and versus Carl Craig. And Turbo Tobin, you could just tell what a great respect he had for Carl Craig, just saying, you know, his his tactics, the way he made him a better defender, and just hearing that firsthand from a player praise Carl Craig, you know, just made me realize how instrumental he was in Minnesota winning that that NASL soccer bowl. Yeah, and definitely Madison has had. I mean, they've been they've been good, decent. Um, Obviously, with the COVID year, they like they there's only two. There's literally was a a first and second place team to play in a championship, and that even got canceled because of because of uh, COVID outbreaks on on teams. Mm -hmm. 
but you know, they've, I think they've, they've underperformed honestly for the, the talent that they have on that team. Um, and for the, the players, the people, that the players that they're able to bring in. And I think, I think with Carl Craig, like managing that roster, I don't think they're going to underperform. And that, that's not to say it's not anything of Neil Vladi and, and those guys um, who are been, you know, really great soccer, you know, soccer players in Minnesota, Minnesota ties as well. I think Carl Craig brings out another, another level. And I'm really, you know, again, I'm, I'm still pissed off that Craig didn't get an opportunity to take this team to MLS. Um, I think he got a raw deal there and you know, that's, but again, that's neither here nor there. He's going to get an opportunity with Madison. If he does well, um, could easily see him moving up to the USL championship and, and maybe even getting a shot at a, uh, at an MLS job again, sometime in the, you know, maybe not immediate future, but in, you know, down the line here in the next four or five years, if he's able to do well in Madison. So uh, anything else we want to say about Carl Craig, otherwise we can, we can take a break and then jump into the uh, Seattle Sounders talk. Yeah. I mean, I, I have, you know, story after story I've known Carl, you know, sometime, but, and he's, he's been a, he's been a very good friend, him and his wife. Yeah. Um, but when so often when people meet him, um, you know, he's he's very polite to him at first, um, but he can also be if you meet him when you've been drinking, he he can be uh, he he can be rough on you. Yeah. And uh, he will uh, he will call you on bullshit and and and, you know, put you down a bit. And I've seen him do that to people and especially Cause I think he gets used to people asking him of things. Yeah. And, but once, once you've kind of, you know, gone through that gateway and proved yourself to him, you know, you're his friend and, and he will treat you right from then on. And, uh, and he is, he's a stand up guy. He, yes, absolutely. He's one of those guys that I'm like, I've met him, you know, met him. I've hung out with him probably five or six times from various things. And Every time I go up, you know, I'm just I'm I'm like, okay, I'm just not need to reintroduce myself to Carl because I'm sure Carl meets a ton of people. And every time it's like, oh yeah, David, da, 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 just talking about the last time that we had hung out or asking about my kid or whatever. Um, he's very and, and he's one of the nicest guys you'll meet, and definitely the guy like you know, once you get past, yeah, Bill, I think that's 100 percent correct. Like he has a just have a little bit of a guard up, but once you get past that guard, like yeah, like he's he's like yeah, whatever, I'm just going up and getting beers. You want a beer? You want a beer? Well, you know, one of those kind of guys you like you will you'll meet up with him or you'll see him in a bar and all of a sudden like he'll he'll pick up the tab um as he's walking out walking out of the yeah. bar. So which is you know um something that he never needed needs to do or needed to do. No. He's, just, he's just that kind of person. So which yeah. is great. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, we will break down the Seattle Sounders Minnesota match, which is taking place on Monday evening. So all right, uh we'll be back in a second. Yeah, yeah. You won't me. That type of dude and I want to be who you like me to But we both know I can't do nothing at all oh, yeah. Right, and we're back. Uh, we're going to talk very quickly the Seattle Sounders. Um, we played the Seattle Sounders on Monday. This game was moved because obviously the Minnesota game was played on Thursday. So Seattle Sounders will have five uh, days of rest. Minnesota only has the three. Take for that what you will. Um, and obviously Minnesota will be traveling across the country to Seattle. So um, better to fly west than east, I think, in terms of uh, being you know, ready for your game and not screwing up your, your game day routine too much. But we will see. Maybe they'll fly out. They may even fly out uh, Sunday night. Who knows? Um, however, this game will take place on Monday night at 830 uh, Central Time on FS1. 
And Seattle is the heavy, heavy favorite in this game, uh, minus 135. Minnesota is plus 330, and the over-under in this game is two and a half. Uh, do we have any any thoughts on the uh, on the over-under, considering the teams in playing this game? I think given over. The, yeah, given the general fatigue level of both teams, the fact that we're probably dealing with two of the best attacks in MLS, an over-under at two and a half, I'll take that. Uh, one other interesting side note of this game is that because the Eastern Conference Final will have been played on uh, Sunday, um, these teams will know if they're traveling uh, to host, traveling to the conference, the, the MLS Cup, or hosting, right? If Columbus beats New England uh, on Sunday, then no matter, it doesn't matter what happens in this game, they're traveling to Columbus, um, you know, barring the, as we just discussed, the uh, potential MLS moving the, moving the, the final um, or if New England wins either Seattle or Minnesota would host this game would host the MLS cup final theoretically. So, um, so yeah, so it'll be interesting. There'll, there'll be a lot on the line, obviously for, for this match, Seattle going for their fourth uh, MLS cup final in five years, obviously Minnesota would be, this would be their first MLS cup final if they win. So lots of, lots of uh, storylines, Ozzy Alonso going back to Seattle is a, is a big one as well. I'm sure that will get uh, uh plenty of press in the next uh, couple of days. So let's jump in. Let's talk a little bit about some of the players that we, and, 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 and Brian Schmetzer. Um, let's start with, uh, with Christian Roldan, MJ. He is basically the number eight. He's the, the Jan Gregush of, of, of their team. And he helps everything from defensive responsibilities in the center midfield to springing the attack and sometimes scoring goals. He's absolutely critical to helping feed that front attacking four that looks so dangerous for them game after game after game. And so when he has a good game, Seattle has a good game. Right on. And uh, another really, really important piece of that, Nico Ladero. Dan? Yeah, so Nico Ladero is arguably the best 10 in the league. I mean, he, he really is the heart and soul of Seattle's attack. He's frequently the one springing them on the counter, um, just really the, the, the heartbeat of the attack, whether they're countering or whether they're facing a bunkered opposition, um, to the extent that, uh, he had 838 touches in the attacking third this year, the next highest sounder was Christian rolled on at 485. So, uh, Ladero almost doubled him up. Um, honestly, I think long-term, this is the player we want Reynoso to become, uh, a guy who is so instrumental in the attack no matter where the team recovers the ball, they're always looking to get it to him to sort of figure out what to do next. Uh, but this is, to the extent that this is a a heavyweight fight, uh, this is the right hand of both teams, Lodiaro versus Reynoso. Yeah, and then sort of that attacking link is Raul Ruiz, uh, who plays as a nine slash false nine. Um he, he, very much in, in the same vein uh, as what we've been doing with Robin Lude, right? Um, he's he able to get back into uh, into the into the defense to the you know, midfield to pick up a ball and, and go. Um, also, he uh, is able to do the, the the finishing things of that we you generally expect of of a of a nine. Uh, I'm gonna throw out. I mean, Jordan Morris. I, I, we've talked about Jordan Morris a lot on this podcast. The dude looks like a Chad. Uh, just it looks like the just dumbest motherfucker in the planet, but he is faster than shit. 
and he is a, a, just a, a very good finisher of, of the ball and, and seems to have a sort of um, mind melds thing with Ladero, similar to what uh, Reynoso Molino have in that Ladero will just, will, will just drop a ball on a dime and Jordan Morris is right there. And that is the, and maybe this jumps a little bit into the tactical things. One of the things that Seattle does really, really well is switching, switching the fields. Um, it's, it's, absolutely stunning the things that they can do switching the fields and just and just again between Roldan and, and Lodero just dropping balls uh onto onto the feet of Jordan Morris and Raul Ruiz Diaz uh the other other person I'll sort of I want to highlight is Stefan Fry the the Sounders goalkeeper um easily one of the best goalkeepers consistently one of the top three to four goalkeepers in MLS he doesn't do anything fancy. Um, he doesn't do anything flashy. He's just a really solid, really solid keeper, much like Tim Malia. Um, and, uh, but again, we've seen if Minnesota is, is playing their type of game, you can be as expertly positioned as you want. Minnesota can just fucking make goals happen. So are there any other uh, players? Uh, I mean, we can talk about Brian Schmetzer um, here in a second, but is there any other players that we want to highlight going forward? So watch out for, for Minnesota United fans. I think it's worth bringing up Nuhu, uh, who will play right back. Um, really, really good in the attack. Phenomenal at snuffing out opposition counters. He also just has this slight streak of making really weird choices. Uh, um, from kicking a beer into the stadium at uh, LAFC last year to uh, hacking down Carlos Vela in the LAFC uh, game this year. He just... he he knows what he wants to do and it feels like he decides to do it a little bit too soon. And so really crafty attackers can exploit that. Um, Which we have. If he's, it, it, and have. Yeah. If he's on his game, he is really, really tough to get around. And he's a, he's a strong defender. If he gets frustrated, he can tend to extend a leg a little bit and that's exploitable. So uh, either Finley or Reynoso or maybe Metonair will have an opportunity to sort of see what kind of game he's having. But if he's having an off game, that definitely becomes the Sounders weak link. Right. Yeah. And then uh, anybody else guys, I'll throw out Shane O'Neill, the uh, Irish, the Irish defender um, international who uh, scored their only goal against FC Dallas. And I think, I really think the FC Dallas uh, playbook is going to be something that Minnesota is going to want to very much replicate. We'll talk about that uh, in a second. The only other person I want to highlight is Brian Schmetzer. In, you talk about some of the best coaches, Brian Schmetzer, like he's very under the radar in terms of best coaches in MLS, but you got to, there's a very strong, a strong argument that Brian Schmetzer is the best coach in MLS right now. And one of the best coaches that has ever been in MLS um, getting to the Western conference finals for f- four years out of, out of five is absolutely amazing. You know, making it to a uh, MLS cup final, three and four is also absolutely amazing. It just, it doesn't happen just to anybody. Right. Um, we've seen some really good teams uh, with uh, terrible managers uh, not make it and some good teams or you know, bad managers with good teams um, not able to do the thing. So, um, so yeah, I just think Brian Schmetzer, uh, there was actually Alexi Lawless in, I believe, I can't remember when, what pregame it was. I think it was before this game basically made a quote saying that, you know, Brian Schmetzer, so Brian Schmetzer is actually out of contract as well at the end of this year. So there's lots of speculation. He hasn't signed a new deal yet. Speculation about what he's asking for. Is he asking for more control of the team? Is he asking to be become the highest paid MLS manager, which I think is a very legitimate argument. Um, but basically Alexi Lawless went on uh, the FS1 pregame show and, and said that, uh, you know, Brian Schmetzer is 
the success of Seattle is not Brian Schmetzer. It's the t- the players that they put on the field. So Garth Lagerway and, and the in the front office of of Seattle. Which Brian Spencer, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but basically it was like, um, see, that's when I asked him, I think in his press conference about that Alexi Lalas quote. And he's and basically was like, he started to answer it. And then he was like, don't listen to what Alexi Lalas says, <laughs> which was just <laughs> perfect, yeah. perfect put down of uh, of Alexi Lalas. And, and, you know, he says some inflammatory things. Sometimes he's right. Um, more often than not, he is either uh, actively wrong or passively wrong um aggressively wrong or or unaggressively wrong but uh you know the dude likes the dude can get quotes out there but i I think brian schmetzer is is weirdly enough i think a super underrated uh, mls manager yeah but he elaborated on it quite a bit in that interview did he okay um yeah and he you know he talked about growing up in the area and being a seattle boy and uh and his friends being there and and everything and then he did pontificate about you know what it would be like to go and win at a, with another team. And he, and then he said, but I wouldn't have any of the things I have here. Right. And, uh, you know, he said, there's something about dynasty. And he talked for a while about dynasty and, uh, and, and, you know, he, he, he talked a little bit about other sports franchise in other sports and, uh, and what that entails. And he talked about about the Lakers and and the Celtics, and uh, and it, it was pretty interesting. And you could you could tell he had really thought about this, and uh, and it, and it was great. And he's he's such an odd duck, uh, you know. You'd never in a million years, if you met him outside of that context, guess that he was a pro sports coach, right? Um, <laughs> you, know, he, he, you know, you would guess he works for uh, you know a tech firm out there. <laughs> yeah or like an investment banker or something yeah yeah but he was he was he was great um and and then at one point you know somebody asked him a question and he and he and he said well that's but and he goes oh i almost swore that's baloney <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was it was it was charming yeah very much so all right and, they were they were asking him what what concerned him about Minnesota, and he made a comment about Minnesota playing with a false nine, and uh, and 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 I don't know if he was talking about Lud or you know exactly what he was talking about, um, but he he said Minnesota is very hard to to make a game plan against uh, defensively. So I thought that was odd. Yeah, it's the first time I think anyone's ever said it out loud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So actually, that's a great segue into how do we, you know, how should United play them? Um, and we have a great question from Hot Clouds. Uh, they asked, how will Seattle try to shit down our front four and how do we counter that? And that was definitely a typo, but uh, I definitely, you know, suggested that we should try to figure out how we shit down to Garth, Garth, uh, Garth Lagerway. Um, but anyways, how do we, you know, how do we shut down? How does, how will Seattle try to shut down our front four? And then how do we counteract that? And then basically, I think that can take us into the, how Minnesota should uh, should attack this game. And um, Dan, I'll start with you. Yeah, so I think sort of uh, jumping on the Schmetzer train, uh, he's a phenomenal tactical coach. Uh, and he learns from other teams' mistakes, which is a huge asset. It's not that his team needs to make a mistake for them to learn from it. They figure out how to correct others. Uh, Kansas City did really, really poorly at figuring out who was going to step to ball and who was not. And so I think what we'll see is a very clear 
excuse me, distribution of labor within the Seattle backline. Um, I suspect it will be O'Neal, uh, Shane O'Neill, who steps up and, and stops ball when Reynoso is on it. But we won't see this sort of, well, he's he's going for one of us, but we don't know who. I think it'll be uh, a very clear, I am stepping to ball. You step back and watch the pass. I suspect, and I could be wrong on this, but Minnesota United has been at their most effective uh in set offenses attacking down the right side and creating an overload with Metinair, Finley, Lude, and Reynoso tends to drift to that side as well. I'll be, I, I won't be surprised if, uh, sorry, not Kansas City, Seattle actively forces Minnesota United left, uh, forcing Molino to be a little bit more of that instigator. And then we can see, to, to Grady's question earlier, is he still as quick on the ball when he's turned provider instead of finisher? MJ. Back six need to figure out who's stepping forward and who's dropping back in certain situations. And the center backs and fullbacks need to have a better awareness and position better so that they're not always facing the ball and missing the people cutting behind them. Cause Seattle will eat us up in a way that sporting Kansas city cannot. So a little better weak side awareness. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. And I also, you know, alluded to it. Luchi, we need to, if you haven't watched that FC Dallas versus Seattle game, Luchi Gonzalez con- constructed the, I think, a, an absolutely perfect game plan to play Seattle. You know, Seattle basically converted on their one opportunity that they had, good opportunity, and FC Dallas didn't. And I think that is the, that's the difference between FC Dallas and Minnesota. I think Minnesota has the, has the talent to actually convert on one or two of their, of their amazing opportunities. I think you're going to get them. Cause I think this is, this is a very good Seattle team. This is not the best Seattle team we've seen in the last three or four years. This, this team has a, uh, there are weaknesses. Um, we need to play with the ball. I think, especially in that first 20 to 25 minutes to prevent uh, Seattle from, you know, doing that thing where they try to punch us in the mouth. We need to counter press like we've been doing and defend the counter attacks. I think this game plan for he should look a lot like we did, like like the one against Kansas City from the from basically the 25th minute on, where we actually were doing the things that we wanted to do and sort of imposing our will upon the game, and you know obviously have less crap defense in the first 20 minutes of the game, and then we basically need to, you know, vis-a-vis our back line, we don't need we, we need to let Seattle not pull our defenders wide, and create chances in what's you know called the Man City box, which is like the box is just outside the six, right? That's where, that's where man, that's where Seattle creates a lot of opportunities. Um, and, that, and they create that opportunities with their switching of the field, those, you know, perfectly weighted passes to um, whether it's Rui Diaz coming down on the, on the right or Morris on the left. Um, so Minnesota needs to be compact defensively and not, not get pulled apart by the, uh, the, the fullbacks of Seattle going forward. Um, and, you know, Ladero and, and um, uh, Roldan pulling pulling the defense apart and, and being able to like drop those passes in like they've done so many times. And then I think contra- like conversely, Minnesota needs to attack the outside backs of Seattle um, and switch fields and basically just Reynoso the fuck out of them, right? Just give the ball to Reynoso and let him do shit, I think is, is a – I mean, it's, it seems like a really, you know, uh, not a – fully formed game plan but i really think it is like just let reynoso do shit and see what happens especially with the connection that him and Molino have had over the course of the last several matches they can do some shit so um bill yeah um i think if, if they can get them spread out a little more and you know get finley out a little 
you know, not so tight in um, and, and get them spread out a little bit on that right side, you know, get Metnair out there, get Finley out there so they can get the ball up top to, to Reynoso and not let those players, you know, bunch up into the center. We're going to have a lot, a lot better chance. Uh, the one thing that Seattle is going to do is avoid Ozzy at all, all possibility. They know that Ozzy in a playoff game against Seattle, that is going to be the game for him. Um, you know, that, that more than any game he's ever played uh, since he's left Seattle, this is the game he's going to be up for. Um, and, right. uh, and so they're, you know, they're going to avoid uh, coming into that center and, uh, and, and so that game of switching sides is going to be, you know, what we got to, you know, defend against the most. Yeah, uh, you're dead right on that, Bill. And to that point, Seattle completed the third most switches in MLS this year. They completed almost 200 more switches than Minnesota did. They had the third most. Minnesota had the third least. So they're really comfortable doing that. And because they're playing at home, they know the width of that field really well. They know how to, to uh, gauge those passes really effectively. Um, to me, the big thing here is Minnesota's fullbacks need to stay home. Uh, Seattle wants to attack wide. They want to suck fullbacks into the attack and then attack in that space behind them. Uh, David, to your point earlier, uh, Logiero, Rui Diaz can play that ball into space where somebody like Morris or Roldan can run onto it. That's what Seattle does really well. They do it so well that teams know it's coming and they still can't defend it. So Minnesota needs to do everything they can to shut down that space. Um, Boxall and Debassi need to be really clear on who's rotating out, who's rotating to center. Uh, I think the story of this game is going to be Minnesota's stars versus Seattle stars. These two teams want to play really similarly. They want to do the same thing. So it's going to be a question of who does it best um, in opposition to the Kansas city game where I was nervous and I didn't quite know how Minnesota was going to, was going to win, even though we knew Kansas city's back line was was their weak spot. I'm excited about this. Even if Minnesota is facing an extremely tough challenge, which they are, this is going to be a phenomenal game. We are going to see either Logiero to Morris at its highest level, or we're going to see Reynoso to Molino at its highest level. And that's really exciting. And it's also really cool knowing where this team was this season to be at this point now to feel like this Seattle team is a good matchup for Minnesota United. Not good in the sense that, hey, I know we can beat them, but good in the sense that these two teams are going to throw punches and it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Right on. All right. So who wins? Um, I'll go first because you guys trying to throw me under the bus. Uh, I think Minnesota United wins two to one. I think Dane St. Clair's shutout streak ends, which he's currently at three. I believe it's like it's over 300 minutes. I believe it's like 308 minutes right now. Um, I think his shutout streak ends and maybe even Seattle scores first, but I think Minnesota has the firepower and I think Seattle's uh, back line is just weak enough where Minnesota can, can get two goals and win the game. Uh, MJ. I hate to be the Debbie downer again, but Seattle scores early, gets a two nil lead. Minnesota tries to climb out, but Seattle wins three, one. Uh, Dan. One thing we haven't seen from the Loons as much over the last like five to six games, but is deeply embedded in this team's DNA is this team is a messy bitch that loves drama. This is going to penalties. <laughs> Bill. Yeah. I, I hate to go to penalties. Um, I think it's the worst part of the sport. I like to see it. I like to see the game finish on the field. 
Um, but I, I'm, I'm afraid we'll get there. Yeah. You have to get there once in the playoffs. I like, I like, I like our chances in penalty. I mean, I know Stephen Fry is a very good goalkeeper, but I like Dane St. Clair uh, in his reaction time in, in penalties. So, all right, guys. Well, Hey, thank you so much for, for joining us and for as Bill, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Maybe you should come back more often, you know, if you're not maybe, uh, out writing manifestos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can always rate and review our podcast. Please do uh, five stars or, or, you know, one star, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, Patreon.com slash the names. I know uh, definitely get in on that. If you get in at the $6 level this month, you're, you're going to get some of that Heath out stout. Uh, always find us at TDIKMN on Twitter. I'm at Texas Eller. Dan's at D Wade. MJ's at MJ Matsui. And Bill is at Bill underscore McGuire. All right, guys. Thank you. This is going to be, I think, be a really fun game. And uh, we're definitely going to have to talk about it on, on Tuesday or Wednesday. So um, be prepared for that. Um, even the names you know, this is the names I know. And work it out Cause we both know We can't do nothing at all Oh, oh, yeah Oh, 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 oh. We did it. We, we, we do our thing, son Long as you do yours, land here Become fecund Yeah uh, we, we do yeah. our thing, son Through the act we attract two Hope to reach one uh, we, yeah. we, we do our thing Do it we do our thing, son. Some will paint a piece, some will spray with a machine gun. It's mad work to be done. We, we, we do our thing, son. Son, son, son.